Welcome in to Huddle Up with Bucky Brooks, the off-season podcast edition, our first episode of this 2024 off-season. J.P. Shadrick, John Osher from the Hyundai Studios in Jacksonville at the Miller Electric Center. Bucky Brooks in Los Angeles. Huddle Up with Bucky Brooks brought to you by Fields Auto Group Jacksonville. Step up to luxury. FieldsAuto.com and plenty to come today, including... In honor of Valentine's Day, what you loved about the Jaguars last year, what broke your heart, and how do they earn their way back into your good graces. That's all coming up. And, yes, off-season priorities for the Jaguars organization. Uh, Bucky, good afternoon. It's good to be back with you. How are you? Uh, Good afternoon, my guys. Uh, Happy Valentine's Day to you guys. I can't wait to take on all of our, our loves for the Jaguars season from last year. But it's a new year. You know what I'm saying? The Super Bowl being in the books, we can start focus. We can be optimistic that next year is the year for the Jaguars to bounce back. So I'm really excited for all of that. And happy Valentine's Day. Every Valentine's Day, Bucky tells us what college players he loves for NFL media, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah, it must be that time of year. Yeah, so that's uh, instead of getting his wife a Valentine's Day gift, he does that. I've heard. I'm sure she enjoys (laughs) that, right? Yeah. That's the gift. Uh Uh, Uh-huh. So – it, it is mock draft season, though. And I, I saw that your first mock was out uh, a little while back, Bucky. Tavondre Sweat from Texas to the Jaguars. That's your latest. Um, I don't know how many you've already put in the can on this. Thing, no, that's but... the, like, my gosh, we, we just ended the season. So, yes, that is the one. That is the one. We'll have one right, I think, ahead of the combine. But, yeah, Tavondre Sweat, when you think about the Jags, and obviously we had an up close and personal seat, uh, you need someone on the inside that can help this team stop the run. Devondre Sweat is a massive man on the interior. I mean, you talk about 360 pounds, being able to control it, being able to stop and command double teams that allow the linebackers to run and chase. And in the new scheme that will be featured, I think that's going to be a big part of having someone on the interior that can really command and dominate double teams to allow the best players to run around and make more plays. I have a question for the scout just to Already, kick off the season. Right out of the gate. Uh, um, and mm-hmm. these are impossible questions to answer because we're still two months from the draft. Free agency hasn't started. Um, you know, the conventional wisdom would say, how in the world do you not figure out something with the offensive line with the draft? Mm-hmm. But how does that work from a planning perspective if you're a GM? Do you eye the draft and say, hey, I know I can get a starter. Say they're looking for a right tackle. Mm-hmm. Say they, you know, Or do you have to sort of, you know, you don't know who's going to be there in the draft at 17, so it's hard to plan for that eventuality. Mm-hmm. How does that work, Bucky? How do you plan for that if you're a GM? Okay, okay. so I'm going to say the, 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 <laughs> the, the words that everyone loves to hate, but I'm going to say it anyway. You have to be prepared to take the best player available. You got to take the BPA. So what you want to do is you want to scrimmage uh, your thoughts and make sure that as you're stacking the board and as you're looking at what is needed based on what is signed during free agency and those things, um, you want to take the best player and you want to make sure that the players that are available at 17, that their grades, meaning their talent, their potential, the way that you view them matches up with where you're going to select them. The things that you don't want to do is go into the draft saying that, A, at 17, we have to take an offensive lineman no matter what, because then what happened is you're a reach for a player that is not worthy of being taken there, and that disappointment will show up when you get to the field, and he's not able to do some of the things that a pick at that point should be able to do. Okay, but... <laughs> I've but, got questions. And, and, I have questions and, as well. And 
I firmly believe in that. At, at the same time, you also get to that point, and you and you sort of know we really need. Like last year, they really needed a guy to start at right tackle. Mm-hmm. So that's the conflict, and that's the great push and pull, right? Mm. Yeah, that that is the conflict. And so what happens is like like John, your thoughts filter in can filter in sometimes to the evaluation process, right? So when you're the decision maker and you're looking at the draft and you're looking at tape well aware that your team needs a right tackle, sometimes when you evaluate the position, you might be a little more lenient when it comes to the grading. And the danger in that is when you kind of are swayed by what you need, you can overdraft a player. Yeah, you can talk yourself you into a, a guy, player, right? Mm-hmm. You, yeah, you talk yourself into a player. And what happens, particularly like with first-round guys, so when someone is drafted in the first round, and it doesn't matter when they're taken in the first round, whether they're taken number one, whether they're taken 32, when you put the tag first-round pick, everyone in the stadium expects to see a certain level of performance from that first-rounder. So when he comes in as the, as the first-round pick, Regardless of whether you say, hey, he really was more like a second rounder, he's going to develop, it doesn't matter. The, the expectation is that he's going to be a dominant player because your first-round picks have to be starters and more than being starters, they need to be impact players. And so the danger in being influenced by need is that you overdraft somebody who can't give you the impact that you know that you're eventually going to need at the position. Bucky Brooks, John Ozer, J.P. Shadrick. It's the Huddle Up podcast, our first of the offseason. And it is that time of year when your top five position rankings come out for all positions in the draft. When does that happen? That should be soon, right, Buck? Uh, yeah, it's about to drop. It should drop uh, momentarily. Today or tomorrow, you'll kind of see it, and you see all that stuff running on the ticker on NFL Network, and it just kind of run, I mean, to infinity, it seems like, until I'm able to do another one sometime in the middle of March. And that's when people, when you're out, go, hey, they get know. real upset. They get hey, really upset about Brooks? that. They get upset about get a lot of that. They get upset more about mock drafts than top fives. But boy, there is nothing that sets people off than a mock draft where you don't put like a little sexy position in at the slots, even though we haven't even got a free agency or done any of that stuff yet. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, an odd time to have that happen because you don't know the uh, the path for some of these organizations. We'll hear from Trent Baalke coming up in just a little bit and get some of his thoughts from his press conference in late January on some of the key things the Jaguars have to get done before they even get to the NFL draft. That's a little bit later. And by the way, happy birthday to Trent Baalke on this Valentine's Day. He's 60 years old today. And uh, Jags associate producer David Cho, who is not 60 years old today as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so happy birthday to both of those guys. And in honor of uh, Valentine's Day, I thought we'd uh, talk a little love. What did mm. you love about the Jaguars in 2023? What broke your heart about the Jags? And how do they earn their way back into your good graces? What do you think, John? Well, I, I've, my senses will all be around the same areas on all these but uh you know i loved really both edge players and and, uh josh allen trayvon walker uh hard to say that either of them weren't at a high level this year uh what broke your heart obviously the end of the season i mean it's it's uh um i i'm not sure i've ever been around a team where eight and three and you felt like everything was uh going the right direction i never thought they were the best team in the afc but i thought they were 
a team that was going to have a, a real chance to be in the final eight with a chance to to uh, to uh, flip the coin and see what happens next. And then all of a sudden you're out of it and you feel like the world's coming to an end. I, I, um, as Doug Peterson said after the season, collapse is the only way to put it. So the specifics in that are many, but overall that was it. What gives you hope? Um, I don't know. Give me a minute. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with you on the the edge rushers. Those are the those guys' performances really stood out. Certainly, Josh Allen in a contract year, and then Trayvon Walker improving as it went along. Bucky, that's uh, how can you not love what those guys put together? And then uh, the worst collapse in Jaguars history. It's hard to avoid that one. Losing five of the last six after an eight and three start, Buck. Yeah, so. um what I love about it, it's going to sound odd because I've been critical about him throughout the season, but what I loved is seeing Trevor Lawrence's toughness over the course of the season. Regardless of what the results look like, I appreciate the fact that the franchise quarterback showed up each and every week with the exception of not being able to play uh, one game. Uh, when you're the franchise quarterback, the expectation is that you always take the ball, and he did that. Despite a, a series of injuries and those things, he showed up. Now, the play wasn't what you wanted to see from your QB1 down the stretch, but I think a lot of that was due to the injuries because there's a significant fall off from when he was healthy to when he was injured in terms of the numbers and all of that. But I think everyone in the building can appreciate and respect his grittiness, and so that's something that you can build upon. Uh, we can work through some of the management issues and some of the turnovers. Those things are correctable. What I didn't like was the overall inconsistency from a team that should have been a playoff team. I just didn't like the up and down roller coaster that this team went on despite returning the entire team from a season ago that went to the playoffs and won a playoff game and did that. I can't understand some of the lack of urgency, some of the lack of attention to detail, even some of the lack of accountability amongst the players when it came to executing the plan and what the coaches were asking to do. So to me, that was disturbing. And why I'm optimistic and hopeful I think I'm optimistic because when I looked at the Kansas City Chiefs win a title, I'm fully aware that that was a flawed team that won a title. They didn't have everything together. They struggled on the edges. Um, offensively, their wide receivers were just pedestrian. But because of the quarterback and because of like a really improved defense, they were able to get it done. I am optimistic that despite the flaws that the Jaguars may have by the time the season kicks off, you still can get it done if your quarterback is in the right headspace and is able to play at a high level. And then the supporting players step their game up enough. It can be done. I, I just think that it's not necessarily the best team that wins the Super Bowl. It's the team that kind of finds a way to understand their identity and always play to their identity. Yeah, I'm growing. As I get further away from the season, I am growing in optimism about Trevor Lawrence. And by that I mean this. When you were looking at it, sort of in real time every week, JP, and you saw the turnovers, the struggling late in the season, it you couldn't help but sort of wonder, what, what's going on? You know, it, it, this does not look like a franchise quarterback. But then when you sort of step back, and JP, you see me write it a million times, um, before the injury, this team had had been 13-3 and three and 14-4. and four. Uh, When I say the injury, I mean uh, the high ankle sprain against Cincinnati. When after that, he was out of games three of the last five games he started, he left with injuries. Um, 13-3, 14-4 as a team before that, and his touchdown-interception ratio during that span, I forget the exact number, 
but it was something around twenty nine and nine. I mean, it, it mm-hmm. that um, it's winning football. Yeah, as much as mm-hmm. you say, well, you've got to play through injuries. Saying you got to play through injuries and actually being the guy who's dealing with how that affects whatever you're doing is different. To me, those numbers, I get that there are nuances in this conversation, but Bucky, to me, those numbers stand out. You can't deny that he was playing very well, even against Cincinnati in that game before he got hurt, playing very well, and the eye test told you he was going to lead you to a victory in that game. And then all of a sudden, without Christian Kirk late and with Mm -hmm. Trevor Hurt, I just uh, I know injuries are something you had to play through, but I can't help but think that that had a major, major part of what happened, Bucky. Yeah, no, I did have a, a major part of of what happened, and I think um, you point to it. Um, it, it. There's something about when you look at your team, like you you think about who you are, but eventually you have to realize what you are. And I think this year was a great discovery in terms of what the Jaguars are as a team, uh, what the Jaguars are, and from my perspective on offense. They're a team that have to operate inside out, meaning that uh, when you think about the way the offense is structured, uh, 13 and 17 are the focal points, and everybody else are kind of complements to that, meaning Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram, they're the guy, they're the ones that kind of focus the offense. That doesn't mean that there's not a place for Kelvin, really. I'm just saying that the offense is better when those guys kind of start it, and then everything springs from that. Defensively, um, I think the team just has to figure out what their identity is, what they want to be. Meaning, are they going to be a pressure team that plays man-to-man? Are they going to be a soft team, a bend-but-don't-break team? Whatever that decision is in terms of what the identity is going to be, everything has to be done with that in mind. The way you build a team, the players that you acquire, how you call the game as a defensive play caller, how you call the game as an offensive play caller to complement that. Everything has to be in lockstep. I think sometimes you got to take a couple steps backwards to go forwards. I think down the line, we may look at this season – as being a blessing in disguise, it forces everybody into the building to to confront the reality of what the team is. And once you can confront the reality and be honest with who we are and what we're about, then you can build a team in a manner in which it can go beyond what it's been in the playoffs. And we'll begin maybe to hear a little bit about that vision on defense on Thursday when Ryan Nielsen, the defensive coordinator, speaks to the media Thursday, one thirty. It'll be on Jaguars.com. And Jaguars social media, we'll see what he has to say if he puts a whole lot of that out there. But you'll get a first opportunity at least to hear uh, from the D.C. himself. Uh, plenty ahead, we'll hear from General Manager Trent Balky in his press conference at the end of January on some of the key players in free agency, or at least pending free agents moving ahead. And you can be one of the first to become a Daily's Place Blue member for the 2024 season. Reserve your premium seat membership or individual luxury experience today and enjoy guaranteed seats in the best locations, premium parking, a VIP entrance, and club access. For more information, email ticketing at boldevents.com or call 904-633-2000. Rod Stewart this Saturday, John. Yeah, uh, we're going to be out of town. I actually uh, was thinking about trying to go to that. It's uh, right in uh, the wheelhouse for Bucky in my age. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. Man, I would would love to be there. Like me me and Rod Stewart go way back. Way back. (laughs) Way back. Uh, We're back (laughs) in just a moment with much more. It's Huddle Up with Bucky Brooks. 
Welcome back. It's Huddle Up, the off-season podcast edition, the first episode of this 2024 off-season. J.P. Shadrick, John Ozer in Jacksonville, Bucky Brooks in Los Angeles. And uh, Jag season ticket members, a friendly reminder, the deadline to renew your season tickets is this Friday, February 16th. Log on to your Jaguars account and renew now. Or go to jaguars.com slash members or call 904-633-2000. All right, so the off-season priority list, number one, fill out the coaching staff. That hasn't uh, been officially announced yet. We'll hear from the defensive coordinator this week. A lot of the changes on that side of the football. Franchise tag window, February 20th through March 5th. There could be some activity there for the Jaguars. Of course, pending free agents. There's some big names there. The combine at the end of February. The league year begins March 13th at 4 p.m., and then the off-season program April 15th, and, and then uh, the draft at the end of April. That's the basic order of operations moving ahead. Now, I mean, priority number one, there's some, they're all priorities, but this is bigger than most. Josh Allen is priority number one in this off-season. It has to be, right, with the, what he has coming up and coming off the season he had. You know, what is the approach for the Jaguars for Josh Allen, the outside linebacker. Trent Baalke was asked about that in his press conference at the end of January just a few weeks ago. Will Josh Allen be here one way or another? Yeah, Josh will be a Jaguar. Okay. How close are you to getting a deal done with him? Uh, very far. <laughs> Haven't started. Oh. Haven't started. Those well, negotiations will start. Can those can <clears throat> a deal like that, can it happen pretty quick? Obviously, you have some time before the tag deadline. So is there, are you still in, in, involved in a comfortable timeline for getting yeah. that done, in your opinion? You know, I'd love to say yes. I know Josh wants to be here. I know we want him here. You know, can we come to a number that works for everybody? That's the, that's the key, and I respect that. I, I, like I said last year with Evan's situation, you've got to respect these guys that put themselves in this position. They work hard. They deserve to make good money. What that good means to them is could be different than what it means to us. So we just got to come together, sit down at the table, uh, and, and work things out. All right, that's Trent Baalke, of course, Jaguars general manager in late January. It is now mid-February. So I'm going to ask the GM, Bucky Brooks, um, mm. where should this be standing right now in terms of a negotiation with a month to go until the start of the league year? I mean, ideally, you would want to have those conversations going on. But, you know, depending on uh, Balky's philosophy when it comes to negotiating with players, he may well have a thing where, hey, I just want to wait after the Super Bowl, get all that done, and then we'll start attacking next year's business. And so hopefully those conversations will happen in the next week or two. And then, you know, you got to scrimmage it out. The one thing that you have, if you're Trent Balky, you have the franchise tag in the back pocket. So you know he's not going anywhere. Then it's a matter of how do you want to negotiate off of the tag? Do you want to uh, secure the tag and maybe take it all the way down to the end? Or do you want to see if there's a way that you can get this done so you can fit the rest of the pieces of the puzzle around the contract that's going to be there? A lot to consider, but what you want to do is you want to weigh Josh Allen's contract against the other things that you have on the horizon and what makes the most uh, sense. What's the best uh, approach when it comes to building the team out the way that you want to build it? Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, brouhaha, if you will, over whether they didn't mm-hmm. talk to him uh, yet, et cetera. Uh, my thought on this, Bucky, and see if this jives with uh, your experience, which means your thoughts matter more than mine. Um, it, deadlines tend to make deals in this situation. So 
when you start doesn't seem to me quite as important as the urgency that the conversations are having once you start. Uh, mm-hmm. If they haven't started yet, there's still plenty of time as long as both sides are serious. And so much gets done in the last couple of days on these things. It, it, you know, faxes going back and forth in the old days. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, am I am I in the right ballpark on that? Yeah, I think so. I think deadlines definitely matter. It also um, matters who are the two parties that are negotiating, meaning how does the agent normally conduct business? How does Trent Baalke right. normally conduct business when it comes to doing those big deals? Is there a history of, A, the Jaguars always do deals at the last minute, or no, they try and get them done early so they can put it away and everyone can focus on the other things. The other part of this, and it's it's indirectly related to Josh Allen, would be the Calvin Ridley contract situation. So you have two players in one tag. You know that you can use the franchise tag on Josh Allen. So does that mean that, hey, let's attack this Calvin Ridley thing early, whether we're going to keep him, whether we're not going to keep him, figure out the compensation that the Atlanta Falcons are going to go back so you can kind of plan out your offseason as it relates to the draft? Or is this a situation where you have the initial conversation with Josh Allen, you determine whether you think a deal can be done, and then you can use the franchise tag elsewhere. So there are a a few things that are going on at the same time. And so how you juggle those conversations ultimately determine how the path is going to be used going forward. And let's move right along to the Calvin Ridley part of this thing. Trent Baalke in late January on the wide receiver. Calvin did some awfully good things. I, I love Calvin Ridley. He's, uh, he's all ball. Uh, you guys and gals that were able to see it practice, I mean, he loves, to, he loves to practice. He loves to play. He loves the game. You know, when you bring somebody in that hasn't been a part of football for over a year and a half, you've got to knock the rust off. And he did that, and, and at times he showed exactly who he was, who he used, he, who he was, who he can be. And the sky's the limit. He's only going to get better because uh, of the way he works. You know, when you love something as much as he loves football, you can't help but get better. So we would love to have have Calvin back. You know, we're going to work toward that. What, what that means, I, I don't know right now. That was, of course, in late January. The the Jaguars GM and hey. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm pro Jaguars there, but it, it doesn't take a lot to interpret um, the two different conversations that we just had within the last 10 minutes on the pod. So we had one where, hey, you know, it's business. We'll see what happens. Man, I love the guy. We're going to bring him back. We've got to figure out how that is. Here's what I can guarantee you. Both of those guys are going to be on the team next year. I don't know what it looks like, but both of those guys are going to be around. Kevin Ridley's going to get a contract. We will see what the contract looks like for Josh Allen. But when you hear love, the, the future's bright, he's better, he's awesome, all those, uh, look, the, the verbal bouquets that Calvin really got, Calvin really, I mean, I'm sure he already has a house in Jacksonville, but he doesn't have to put up a for sale sign. He's going to be around. Yeah, I, I hope you're right. Um, to me, though, Bucky, with Calvin, something has to get done before the tag. I mean, yeah. I mean before yeah. the league year. Be, and, and I don't know how this will play out, but um, you, most guys, you can't wait until free agency hits because once they get, once they go out there, they usually don't come back, right? So uh, I don't know. Maybe you're a little more confident than I am on this front, right? And you know, if they re-sign it before the league year, then they have to give up the second round pick, yeah, to which, the Falcons. Which I kind of, I don't know. It feels like moving parts on this one, and there's so much going on with all of them that it's even hard to 
sort of have a bullet pointed conversation of well if then if then because so many things depend on so many other things but uh i you know i i hope you're right because to me if you lose calvin ridley's eight touchdowns and thousand yards you're trying to replace them as soon as he walks out the door you are and you're trying to do it with a younger player and like just based on recent history, younger players have had a tougher time coming yeah. in, making an immediate impact, particularly at that position. As it relates to when do you sign them? Like I know it's the conditional second or third round pick based on when you sign them. The thing is, you don't want to get too cute with that. So even though we're talking about, oh, man, you're giving up a second round pick. If you sign them before then, a lot of it depends on the conversation and when you're going to do it. But maybe there's a wink, not agreement that you can come to that happens after the league year, you know? True. Yeah. But it, it's risky. This a wink, not agreement. Somebody comes in with 5 million more. <laughs> maybe. A wink I and mean, a nod like, and five bills, I mean, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so, so then, so then what you have to do is you have to look at it without knowing how the Jaguars, like, I don't know the, the drag, Jaguars picks right offhand, but so if you're worried about giving up a number two, if you have multiple threes, you can trade back to get that two back. You know, so there, yeah. there's ways to kind of work around it without necessarily panicking over the second round pick. And then the other thing would be, let's look at the history of second round picks for the team. How successful have we been in terms of bringing in second round picks that have come in and made an immediate impact? If you're looking at Calvin Ridley, his thousand yards and eight touchdowns versus what the history is showing of a second round pick, mm-hmm. then you don't worry about the second round pick as much. It all well, come- was a second round pick. He yeah. was, yeah. He was. Uh, by the way, it, it all comes full circle. We mentioned Rod Stewart earlier. We mentioned nods and winks. A nod is as good as a <laughs> wink to a blind horse. The old faces album. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> okay, yeah. We're uh, digging deep a little yes, bit. Yes, we are. Uh, Bucky was a big faces guy. He was big. He still is, I think, in fact. Um, what, all right, so let's finish with this today, guys. Um, tomorrow, the, the defensive coordinator, one thirty Thursday, Jaguars.com, Jaguar social media. Ryan Nielsen will visit with the media. So what's the one thing you want to hear, Bucky, from the D.C. tomorrow? Uh, I want to hear about philosophy, style of play. Uh, If he could just uh, tell me in a way where I can get excited, where I close my eyes and envision how the Jaguars are going to play on defense, that's something that you can carry into it because the optimism would be felt also in the building. As much as we as fans and observers are listening to what he's saying, players are also paying close attention to what he says in terms about style of play, how we're going to get about it, what we do, um, going about their business and all that other stuff. So I'm, I'm really excited to see how he kind of presents it, how he puts it there. And if someone can kind of pull them on the role of some of the assistants, because the, the, the player who, the assistant coach who I think has a lot of influence in terms of how the Jaguars can get better would be Chris Richard in the secondary his ability to kind of get better performance out of that back end can ultimately help Ryan Nielsen determine how aggressive he can be up front. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you uh, want to know within within reason some specifics on how they're going to play. Uh, I think one thing he'll say is, boy, I'd love to have Josh Allen. So, I mean, it, it, Trayvon Walker and Josh Allen are are – impact players that you can build around and i uh, i think i'd like to hear a little bit of uh you know mm-hmm. well, what are your thoughts on devin lloyd i mean uh, this is a guy who didn't play mm-hmm. that well last year i didn't think 
Um, he's a first-round talent. Uh, Andre Sisko's a a big-time talent mm-hmm. at times. Tyson Campbell. There are some talented guys on this team that, for uh, whatever reason, uh, Tyson, I think, was mostly injury. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, mm-hmm. there's uh, – I don't say blue chip, but guys that you expect can be playmakers and make a defense really, really good that mm-hmm. – uh, the defense wasn't really, really good at the end of last year. So, how are some of these guys? How do some of these guys fit in what you're doing, right, Buck? Yeah, and I think that the main thing I would love to hear someone ask him to compare some of the current Jaguars to some of the players that he's coached in the past down in New Orleans. So, is there a, a reasonable um, playing style comparison between Trayvon Walker and maybe Cam Jordan? Uh, do you think that Tyson Campbell can do some of the things that Marshawn Lattimore was able to do in New Orleans when you guys were down there? Not only for him, but like Chris Richard. Um, Devin Lurie, where does he fit? Is he a guy that is a true off-ball linebacker? Or are there ways to utilize him coming off the edge like he did at Utah? Um, there there are pieces that are there for the Jaguars. And we've said it like time and time again. It's about putting those guys in a position where they can do what they do really well. So the philosophy and just how it all matches up, to me, that's that's the big part of the conversation that I want to hear. All right, episode one in the books. We'll do this job, each and every Wednesday on the official Jaguars mm. podcast network in the afternoons. And uh, in a couple of weeks, Bucky, we will see you at the Combine in Indy in person. All the shrimp cocktail you could shake a stick at. Uh, man, it should be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing John Orson just run around the king of the combine himself and just see him bouncing around <laughs> yeah, it, the media boy, center doing If there's all anybody the who's the king of the combine, does. it's Bucky Brooks. I'm, 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 I'm excited to see all of that, so it should be fun. Maybe but, by then we'll see Mock Draft 2.0 on the crawler. Maybe. Of, I mean, it's oh, been 1.0 oh for like six weeks, it feels like. Maybe. Every time I'm in a sports bar, Bucky Brooks, 1.0. The problem is that Bucky's already done it, and he's forgotten who he's put in it because he did it so long ago they just haven't put it out yet. I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember. Like brand-new names and all kinds of stuff. I'll be putting (laughs) guys that are still playing in college (laughs) back into my draft because I don't know. know? Uh, Bucky, we'll talk to you again next week. It's Bucky Bucky Brooks out of here from NFL Network. John Ozier, J.P. Shadrick, our thanks to Joe Fortunato and Brent Reber, and thanks to you for listening to the Huddle Up Podcast.